Welcome to the Roll Call Podcast. You're listening to Adam Cushman and Raul S. Julia. <laughs> Actually, I have an S in my middle name, too. You do? I do, Adam S. Cushman. Wait a second. What's the S stand for? Scott. Scott. Yes. Very cool. My wife makes fun of me constantly because... Uh, Scott in Russian means something like a field of goat shit or something. <laughs> so as soon as I, you know, when I met her and she's like, oh, what's your middle name? And I said it, she started laughing. I'm like, what the fuck, dude? But, yeah. yeah. Uh, my middle name is not that. <laughs> <laughs> Episode six, Xander Berkeley. Actor, painter. Over 300 credits. Uh, full disclosure, he... Uh, Appeared in my second film, The Maestro, which we actually do not talk about on the podcast, but it's worth mentioning now. Uh, you can go rent it on Amazon, huh? As you should. Yeah. Uh, it's a very good movie. I'm not just saying that because I'm in it as well. It's a really good way to spend 95 minutes. So yeah, we talked to Xander and it was it was really great. We covered a lot of great subjects and... Um, He's always so much fun to talk to, man. Yeah, a lot. We didn't even scratch the surface of, of a lot of his work. Xander has appeared in probably over 300 films. He's one of those actors who uh, has played in so many different um, capacities. The villain, um, the, the tender dad, the uh, terrorist. He's, he's a favorite of A-list directors like you know Spielberg used him, Ron Howard used him. Uh, James Cameron used him, and then the great indie directors like Mike Figgis and Alex Cox and Todd Haynes. Uh, they all love to work with him, and there's a reason. It's because he's very, he's a very present actor. He's a very giving actor, and he has this uncanny ability to transform. I think the first the first time I became aware of Xander Berkeley was in 1991 in the movie Candyman, when he plays Virginia Madsen's husband. And he has one of the greatest death scenes like maybe ever. In that movie. And he's an actor who's also very much known for death scenes and, and for dying so well and often. Um, so much so that he has a death reel, which we mentioned in the show. And I believe we have a copy of that we'll, we'll post on Instagram at some point. My favorite by far of all of his films is the movie Safe, uh, 1995, Todd Haynes, uh, starring uh, Xander and Julianne Moore which if you haven't seen it, I mentioned on the show, I really do think this movie deserved the Nobel Prize. It was so, it was, it was so relevant and it still is relevant. And it's basically about, um, you know, a woman who's living in, uh, you know, an upper class suburban environment and her environment is physically destroying her. She's having nosebleeds at baby showers. She's fainting at the cleaners. She's like basically allergic to her, to Xander, her husband, and no one can figure out what's wrong with her. And she's just constantly misdiagnosed and then sent off to a, you know, a, a clinic in New Mexico where she's continuously misdiagnosed. And that's kind of the great tragedy is it's so obvious to the audience what's wrong. Um, but the director never mentions it and it's not really ever brought up. It's kind of left for you to decide. So it's a, a wonderful ambiguity that he plays with as well. And um, yeah, it's a great flick. Everyone should see it. Yeah, the thing about Xander is he's the guy who will show up in the first 10, 15 minutes of a movie and you might not see him for the rest of the movie, but then he's going to come back at the end as the bad guy who was you know, pulling the strings all along. Air Force One. He's, he's helping to guard the president, but in the end... He's the bad guy. And, uh, yeah, for anyone who also Steven Seagal dies in the beginning of that movie. That's executive decision. Oh, shit. That's executive <laughs> decision. Damn it. Sorry, Steven Seagal, thankfully, is not in Air Force One at all. But on that note. <laughs> on that note, enjoy the interview with Xander Berkeley. Yeah, you know what you want to talk about. <laughs> you want to talk about acting, you baby. You want to talk yeah. about acting and shit, <laughs> What part about acting you want to talk about? I don't know. The girly parts of Craft. <laughs> the, the girly parts of acting. Put on little outfits, 
Yeah. Wear makeup. <laughs> you top down, do your girly things in your girly clothes. Oh. Play fucking pretend <laughs> for a living. Play make believe. Yeah. Right? That's what I, I heard that you <laughs> you used to prefer. This is Wikipedia, so I'm sorry. Come on, let's go for it. What does Wikipedia have to say? (laughs) What does Wikipedia have to say? Alexander Berkeley. You preferred costumes to toys as a child. As a child, yeah. As a child. Yes. Now I like toys. Growing up in... You had to grow into the toys. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm wearing a costume right now. That's right. You know, that was my instinct. Instead of just being straight that i would change throughout the course of this interview and i would i would make it more interesting by having a hat and and sunglasses to start but that it would change yeah. the dynamic reveal yeah we'd have to uh, somewhere to go it's a part yeah. of storytelling you start one place and you end up in another place and costumes did that as a child it, they, they transported me if you studied anything about magic i'm about to work start working on the tempest in maine even there, he needed his robes. He needed his accoutrement, Prospero. in order to take on the magical powers. And in the legends of the Wolf Man, in tribal cultures, they would have a flayed skin, the Leopard Man, and stuff like that. They wore the flayed skin of the animal, and they were suddenly imbued with the power of the wild animal, and they could go on the hunt, yeah, and do supernatural acts because they were wearing a costume. My mother, we didn't have a lot of dough, and but we were living in nature from pretty pretty early on, and she just she could sew and and make little outfits for me and like Superman outfit, quite simple, just t shirt with an S sewn onto it and a cape. It's denim, yeah, denim cape, nice, but it worked. It worked. I flew off the rocks. I, I knew that I was I was flying much further than I could ever have flown without that cape, at least in my mind. I don't know. I I, I asked because I I've kind of felt the same way as a kid. I would I would I loved uh, costumes. I had a whole bag in my closet and yeah. I just put them on. You know, Spider Man, Batman, Superman, mix and match. I also had that experience. My grandmother made me, uh, she stitched me a Superman costume when I was like five years old, but the S was upside down, the triangle was upside down, but I didn't care. And I used to always insist on wearing suits. And my mom was like, why does why the fuck does he want to wear a suit? Let him wear a suit. I would have it under my suit and I'd wait until we were in like a packed elevator, fully crowded, and I would just rip the suit off, like turn into Superman and my mom would just like. Oh, so you were oh doing like guerrilla theater with it. Yeah. You were doing like a uh, awesome. flash you're mob of one. You're doing the Clark Kent into Superman Correct. transformation. Yes. That's, that's advanced. That <laughs> was precocious. I had a, a repertoire of British characters. There was a farm in New Jersey that we moved to that was mostly run by expat Brits that had come over during the war, elders. There were lords and ladies, and they were working, and they were Cockney and Scottish and Irish. It was wild all the accents and i just loved picking up on all those accents but even before that i already at the age of three had dr doolittle and robin hood costumes that my mother had made for me and i did them with a very apparently according to them there's photographs of them really sophisticated british accents and and then i had someone do a past life regression for me when i was in my 20s in new york somebody that my sister met that was kind of amazing. He actually uh, predicted his own demise. He would have dreams with black frames around them. He always knew that whenever the black frame was in the dream, it was going to happen. So it did with his own demise. Vehicular homicide. He'd gone to research what the legal ramifications were because he knew he wasn't going to be driving. And was he just going to stay out of cars so he didn't cause someone else to have... Right. Oh, because that was in his dream. That was like, oh, damn. That's crazy. Yeah, but he did a past life regression on me, and the first thing he said is that I was, a, a, in my last lifetime, I was an actor in, in Britain. And he didn't know I was an actor. I'm in my 20s, and my sister set the whole thing up. She knew him. Didn't tell him a thing about me. Just, you have to meet this guy. He's, he's got to do, do a past life regression on you. She hadn't done it with herself, but she knew he did this stuff, and I was very spiritual and mystical at the time. <laughs> Not anymore, folks. <laughs> Too many years in Hollywood for that. (laughs) 
first thing he said was, "You were you were an actor in your last life, and you died in a in a horse carriage accident right before you were going to attain an extraordinary level of fame." I shuddered all over because I never felt like I when I was studying acting, I always felt like I already know what I'm doing. I just need to do. I just I'm only going to do the acting so I can make money to support the other things that I want to do, which is ridiculously arrogant and outrageous <laughs> thought yeah. because all you have to do is look at one pie chart to know the percentage of people that want to become actors and those that get into the, the guild. Do, and right? then among those in the guild, those that make a freaking living. So it was a ridiculous notion, but kind of got me a few houses. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Without having to become too famous. The, the next thing he said is that you were in the lifetime before that you were in Spain and you were working in the, in the court as a poet and guitarist for the king. I freaked out at that because in first grade, I, I just had this vivid recollection of sitting around in a little circle. The teacher had split the class into two groups and I was talking about how I spoke Spanish and that I played guitar and I was five. I wasn't making this shit up. Yeah. I knew I, I I played guitar and I knew I spoke Spanish. Wow. And one of the little New Jersey kids turns it, You do not. You liar. <laughs> you lying. You liar. <laughs> speak Spanish. So speak Spanish. Yeah, not right now. It's going to come to me. Hang on. I can't I think of a single word in Spanish. <laughs> I know Spanish. But I had the vivid memory and I, I actually had. At that time, when I was saying this into this little story, I still had the image of, of, of a courtyard. And I don't know whether this guy was picking up this memory of like a dream I'd had. I don't even know if it was a dream, but this is the memory that I'm calling up. And I can remember it to this day when I'm telling them that, yeah, I, I, like I lived in Spain. I, yeah. I, I played the guitar in the court. Tocando la guitarra. For me, as much as anything, the motivation to become an actor was this mad desire to, to time travel and the past life regression ended up being a sort of an affirmation i adhere to the to the notion that you can't believe anything you can't prove and since i can't prove that about the past life i don't believe it but i hold it as a possibility and if nothing more it's intriguing to feel that we have even if it's just through our our ancestors I want to know myself. I want to understand life. And I want to understand people. I'm fascinated by people. Annoying as they can be. <laughs> I never stop being fascinated by them. And I love them. I, I, I draw people every day. I paint and sculpt. I'm, I can't keep my interest on a landscape if I don't throw a person in there somewhere. I do. I'll do them just to, to discipline myself buildings and stuff like that but for me it's it's human being and human nature and yeah. and throughout time and i'm really drawn the stuff that i'm doing in maine now is preparing primarily to do period stuff and i think because i just still have this childlike desire to time travel didn't you study with lee strasberg for a you while know, i was in there yeah the studio was an intern wow Oh, so you like were you like his assistant or something at some? I mean, were you doing stuff around there? I did stuff there for, at the actor studio yeah. in LA as like a groundskeeper stuff, so I could oh. just attend and I could do classes and and do scenes and stuff. But they were all there, and Martin Landau and Shelley Winters yeah. and Helen Burston. They were all monitors when they were teaching when Lee wasn't there. And you studied with Lee directly? Yeah, I mean, we, but there were such freaks at the actor's studio at the time. I'm sorry if any of you are still alive and you, <laughs> I'll just never forget. I mean, there were a couple that were really amazing. John Garfield Gorwitz, Gorwitz, Garfield, Garfield, Gorwitz. He was always changing his name back and forth. Really? You know who Gorwitz, Alan Gorwitz. Well, Garfield? Alan I mean, Garfield. I know. Alan John. Garfield, yeah, he oh. would go back and forth. I mean, it was just hysterical. It's like watching comedy. <laughs> Lee would get up and somebody would say, Darling, relax. Sit in the chair. Sit down. I would take her arm and try and get, see if she was relaxed. And she'd be tense. I don't have time for this. I don't have time. I forget. You can't relax. And then, uh, you know, he's just so annoyed by all these people. And I don't care if you bring me a frame 
first and then you put a painting in the frame or you bring me a painting and then you, 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 you put the frame on. Uh, it doesn't matter which way you go, out, in, or in, out. But uh, you need both. <laughs> you, you need to have both. And that's, I love, that's my favorite that's little league quote because yeah. a lot of people think it's all about just what you're feeling and everything. But he did stress to people it's important how you frame it. Mm. It's a visual medium. Yeah. And it doesn't matter if you start out externally and work your way in. Yeah. Create the pictures that are going to help to tell the story and then accommodate the inner life. Right. Right. Uh, or accommodate the frame with inhabiting it. Yeah. Inwardly. Doesn't matter how you get to it. Yeah. Or whether you, you start out there, but and then grow within, from within out to give it a shape and a form that will be compelling, visually compelling, and will help to tell the story. But there was one guy that would sit in the studio who was working on Dante's Inferno for a decade in class. <laughs> yeah. Dante. He, I remember just sitting there when he was one of the people working. I was, I was end up sitting next to him. And he was a big guy, and I just I remember just listening to him breathing, going like this. <laughs> <laughs> and I just go, "Oh my god, the walking fucking wounded." <laughs> this town. God help him. <laughs> Yeah, people can. That's the thing about acting classes, well, especially there. Like people can get a little self-important sometimes. A little, Ooh. just to, just to, Ooh, and then a the self-important. Then just, just also this self-abuse, right? Self yeah, it's and not so much importance. It's like they feel they need to suffer for. Yeah, art. yeah, and you know, it's I acting. remember it was a really sweet kid I worked with on one movie. Two images come to mind. I won't name his name because he really was a delightful, sweet guy. But he'd been studying at the actor's studio, and not when I was there, but later. He just, I just never forget the director just, you know, wanting to be understanding of everybody's process. It was, he was playing the lead, and he, I think this was the last time he ever worked again <clears throat> because he couldn't just, it, it was a wide shot. He just had to get in the car and shut the car door. That's all. <laughs> just get in the fucking car. Just and he was like preparing. And he's preparing. And then uh, she just wasn't feeling it. Get in the fucking car and shut the fucking door. Asshole. And he wasn't an asshole. He just, he believed he had to I torture won't. himself before yeah. he... No, it's a wide shot. <laughs> they have to know the. We don't know what you're feeling. You we gotta just know, know that, right? that the car pulls out of frame. I have hip pain. I got to get the yeah, hip yeah. Pain. It's the again. car shot, no, but the not movement yours. of my legs as I walk to the <laughs> car like, must be completely. <laughs> it's about the car. Yeah. Sorry. And the other one was when he was getting shot. He just it was a flesh wound, but he was getting shot somewhere around his his shoulder. And uh, I've been shot a lot. And because he was a sweet guy, I, I just kind of knew because he, he couldn't just get into the fucking car without feeling it. I knew he was going to feel getting shot. And I knew he was going to fuck himself up. Saw it coming. And I, and I knew, I, I read the script, and I knew they were going to do it for another week. So I started saying, hey, can I t t tell you a little something about squibs? Because I went back. Now I feel like, you know, an old Army veteran back in the day. Squibs. The real Army veterans, like the Vietnam vets that used to rig me with the squibs before I get shot. Yeah. They, they, they Those guys always looked at us like we were such pussies, and they couldn't wait to hurt us. They just couldn't fucking wait. And and they'd always say the same thing. Yeah, not going to feel anything. Just, <laughs> just a little. <laughs> it's gunpowder in a <laughs> condom. <laughs> Filled with blood powder. and gunpowder, yeah. and it's on my body. I'm gonna feel it. Oh, this is real because, uh, yeah. like, a lot of people don't know that 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 squibs are basically, yeah. That's what, not basically. It's they a, are gunpowder <laughs> with blood in a in a balloon. Yeah, balloon condoms. Condoms. Have you been they, I've never been shot, and I look forward to my first. Well, I, I think time. it's a fix. That. I think I've been but, shot about yeah. 
You've died a lot of times, times, man, on yeah. film. We got yeah. your death reel from yeah. the, what's her name, Senator. Maybe twenty five times I've been shot, maybe thirty times. Just shot. But Not you always about. I mean you do have a death reel and mm-hmm. we've talked about it and you always die so interestingly. Oh, I'll talk to him a lot. I took this job because I die in a way I've never died before. <laughs> um so I want to make this really good. <laughs> yeah. You you I I love my favorite some of my favorite on screen deaths of yours are when you die in planes. I do have three. You have three, three impressive yeah. plane yeah. deaths. Yeah, the rookie. Yeah. And uh but Air Force 1 is like the epic. Yeah, well, the I mean, amazing in 24 plane I went down with a plane and then oh, that's and then a, a nuclear bomb blows up. That, but, that. I took a bomb out. Yeah, when I went out, and I was already dying of you know airborne and airborne right. plutonium you, yeah. radiation poisoning was going to get me sooner or later. So I was dying three different ways at the same time. Those that really should count as three deaths. Right? Yeah, yeah. Radiation, <laughs> plane, <laughs> atomic and, bomb, and explosion. <laughs> Just if there was any and, doubt, and to add, part of why you come. think of Air Force One being more epic is just because. Wolfgang Peterson, it was such a big movie and it was on the big screen. But he, I'll never forget when I was looping, he said, I, I think we have got just one small adjustment before we can make them cheer for your demise. <laughs> yes, I, it's what I've done. Now it will sound a little cheesy at first because I have done the voice that I want you to do the scream. <laughs> yes, I've, I've done it. I've added the scream at the end when you're going down this plane. And I think it's going to be fabulous when you do it. Now, it's terrible. (laughs) Part of why I ask you here today is, so you have to take my voice out and put yours in? Because it's terrible what I've done. But you'll be wonderful. And and I promise we put up a lot of music and the splashing of the plane going into the ocean. It will will not seem so terrible. I promise. But here's what I want. I think it's a three-part scream. Harrison lunge. You, You lunge at Harrison and miss him. That's part one. And then... You do this wonderful thing. I don't know if you intended to, but you look up as if to to curse your fate, uh, cursing at God for doing this horrible thing to you. And then you look down, you see your fate coming at you very quickly. (laughs) (laughs) And that's another scream. And your mouth is open enough, I think, where you can justify screaming through the whole thing. In the three parts, so I've done it, and he did do this cheesy scream. You know, ah, 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 and it was like hysterical. And I go, "You so good. That's All amazing. Right. All right, I'll do it. And you promise you're going to bring up the orchestration, and you won't leave me balls out on this one, babe. <laughs> I promise. And he and, did. But but you still hear me screaming. Yeah, it's incredible. You're hanging out of the plane as it goes down. <laughs> and you see good this So good. But I think with this, not only will they cheer for your demise, but they might also demand a reprieve in Air Force Two. <laughs> when when Gibbs when Agent Gibbs surfaces like like uh, in, in Apocalypse Now when, when uh, Martin Sheen comes out of the water, only it's Agent Gibbs. And he's coming back to kill you next president. I would pay to see that. <laughs> high I would dollar. buy a ticket. Pay high dollar. Some haven't seen the the, the rookie, where I, Maybe I try not. to run. Clint I think it's and great. Charlie Sheen over on the runway, while I'm um, waiting to to receive the the briefcase with a million dollars being carried by your father, and uh, Sonia Braga right. running alongside of him. Right, and I think that sets me up for a little anecdotal tale. <laughs> Don't you, Raul? Yes, I I would love for you to tell this this story he's heard it i i have i was i, I enjoyed I, it we so i think much. we bonded immediately yeah because i felt compelled to tell you this story the first time i met you and yeah. i for some reason you know it's, it's again this is the thing about blink malcolm gladwell's theory about blink i could just tell the second we met that we were going to be friends <laughs> and that i was going to tell you sooner or later so i might as well tell you right away <laughs> yeah and that you wouldn't find it offensive or weird that i was talking about your dad oh, no. because you know obviously I, I, you fall in love with your dad knowing him just for the little bit of time that i did so i only knew how tragic and how sad it was to have lost him and, and i didn't want to take i didn't want to be presumptuous and reopening a, a sadness but i know it's been long enough to 
where you've you've embraced and accepted. Oh yeah, and I love to hear stories, yeah. especially from other ac- actors who worked with him. Right, you know, those yeah. are the best, really. Yeah. So, not not at his expense, but there was something hysterically funny about the fact that we're we're working nights in San Jose, and and we were a team, the, the bad guy team. Tony Plano, who you did an interview with, was also part of the team. Clint hired us all off a of videotape, so I met him on set after being about to do a scene with him. Him directing me in a scene where he's holding the, with a huge, iconic Clint Eastwood gun pointing at me <laughs> while I have my hands in the air. And somehow, Raul's character calls him from the other end of the car carrier. He's, he's caught us red-handed in the middle of this scene <laughs> that we're doing. And Raul just calls me. And Clint looks away for a split second. And I somehow produce a gun out of my ass. <laughs> And get a shot off at him. The quickest shot in the West, you know. Yeah. Everybody knows you don't just get the drop on right. Clint. I've made my living making the good guy look good, you know. Right. However bad a bad guy I've ever played, I've always felt like part of my job was I got to look dangerous, I got to look bad, but I got to make them look good. And that's what kind of kept me working over the years. <laughs> <laughs> Pragmatic enough to realize that's part of my job. Well, that's damn important, Yeah. And uh, so I asked the props guy and the costume guy, I go, I've got to have a shoulder holster underneath this jacket so I can grab. I I go from here. Where else am I going to get that gun from? Right. And be able to materialize a gun, right? Yeah. And sorry, amigo, I don't don't have a shoulder holster, man. Really? Yeah, he'd been working with Clint like they all had for 30 years. Hey, and they didn't started, you just have they, those... they were on cruise control. <laughs> <laughs> just have those lying around somewhere yeah. in another movie but or something. It's in your kit, right? Yeah. It's in the Dirty Harry <laughs> kit, right? <laughs> right. So, just, I mean, yeah. the, the, the costume guy told me that, you know, Clint, they went to get shoes for him for the, the rookie, and he said, well, let's just use the Dirty Harry shoes. They still fit. Really? They're sort of like... 70s shoes, Clint. I don't know if you want to wear this. No, they're fine. Shoes. <laughs> didn't want to spend anything I didn't have to spend. Yeah. <laughs> but, anyway. um, but so I, I go and, and David Valdez takes me over. This is Clint Sanders. Clint, this is Xander. He, he could never say Xander. It was always real straight, real, you know, like all American guys just don't like the zuh sound. <laughs> so they always call me Sander. Sander. It's like, okay, Sander. You do feel like when you're meeting him, you're looking up at, the, at Mount Rushmore. And even though he's just a couple inches taller than me, I felt like, I'd like holy shit. And you know, you've worked with all these people. I've worked with everybody already at that point, it seemed like. But that, it's different. It's different. And I was so intent on looking him right in the eye. I got one of those little fish finger hand grips. And I go, oh, oh shit, man. Can we, <laughs> Couldn't get the can we do this again? Yeah, I can I get another take on that? And he says, oh, you can't. And I got a good grip. And I said, you're, you're, you're quick. It's the quick draw thing. You got, you got me in there quick. Anyway, now, nice to meet you. Okay, well, I'm out of here. All right, see ya. Um, and so I go back to, no shoulder. What am I so the guy finally gives me the gun cocked and loaded. But my hands are in the air. And I'm looking at Clint. And, I, and he's going, no, no, don't do that. Shoot your fucking dick off. Take it out. Cock it couple of pops off and then get out of dodge see a couple of tumbleweeds (laughs) (laughs) everything he said was punctuated by a tumbleweed somehow (laughs) but um so in in this in the scene where raul's and we're probably three o'clock in the morning we're shooting nights out there so they could shut out shut down the freeway we're running the car carrier out there we're stealing all these high-end cars car carrier a lot of gun car chasers and stuff I'm the bad CIA pilot, you know, who's going to get make the getaway plane where they've, they're running towards us with the briefcase, and he's wearing that jumpsuit. He had this weird jumpsuit on. It kind of went with the bad German accent he had, which, the, which I was telling you the other day. Yeah. That the, the, the writer, Boaz Joachim, mm. had written this part for David Bowie <laughs> as a German and knew that Bowie had lived in Germany during the whole Brian Eno, you know, low and all of that era. And so he knew he could do a German accent. He looked German. But when they couldn't get Bowie or something fell through on that deal and they were going with Raul, they made an offer to Raul. 
Boaz had immediately started rewriting it into a Latino character. And they'd gotten Sonia Braga, who's Latino. So the team, it, just the whole thing. But Raul had read the version of the script where he was German, and he was <laughs> determined to play him as a German. That explains <laughs> his accent. Yeah. As brilliant an actor as he was, his German accent was a little funky. It was a little, 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 off. <laughs> a little off. A little off. And then, Can, and again, it, it, so also the look, the jumpsuit didn't really, maybe that was the jumpsuit they'd gotten for David. It didn't, <laughs> it didn't seem to fit him quite right. <laughs> And so there was something a little comedic about the whole thing, and the two of them running, and and same thing with Sonia. It was the it was like, yeah, that's so, it was the I, late eighties. It was eighty nine yeah, or whatever, totally. and so it had a weird look to it. Oh, and man. they're running down the runway, and he's carrying the briefcase with all the money in it, and and in the rehearsal, not even in a take, he he hit the button that that lets all the that opens the attaché case, and all the money goes flying on those across the runway, and Clint like looks like somebody just stabbed him in the heart. <laughs> because uh, uh, he hates to waste a nickel and this is just time time is money and, uh, uh, let's get that thing swept up and get it back in the briefcase we'll come back to one all right let's go on the double it's an awkward moment but then he does it again after they get yeah, all set up yeah this was happening this was happening a lot of times unintentionally yeah. opening and it, I didn't touch the button I don't know what happened I, 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 I did not touch the button it just it just opened, and get 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 the get 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 a couple of guys just get get it swept up and get it back in that damn case and we'll get it back to number one. Okay, let's make this happen fast. Okay, hemorrhaging, and Raul's feeling the awkward moment because they're all just standing there and I'm in this little plane, these little biplane, the getaway plane is small, but it's just perfect, like fly on the wall height, and I'm just out in the window. <laughs> watching this all go down and there's an expression in musical theory where you start vamping where you, you play the intro music and, and so right. Raul coming from a bit of musical theater was vamping to try and pierce the awkwardness <laughs> and said because it was late and everybody wanted a drink at this point and I think he said of all the cocktails in the world <laughs> what is your favorite drink of all <laughs> Clint just wants to end this conversation before it starts. He goes, well, I'm mostly a beer and wine man myself. <laughs> <laughs> Another deadly pause. And then Sonia, Sonia pipes in. The ever delightful Sonia. Yes. I don't drink. I have a cousin who drinks. <laughs> Sometimes I run into people and they say, I met you at a party in New York. I say, was not me. <laughs> it was my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> and they believe me. <laughs> She's so sweet and then, you know, starting to break the ice a little. Clint likes Sonia. And then Raul says, I love a martini. <laughs> if a martini is made the right way. And this beautiful, mellifluous voice describes exactly how a martini should be made. And it's almost like right at the end of this description, it's so beautiful. You just want him to go on. And Clint cuts him up. And he said, yeah, martinis are a good drink. <laughs> like I said, I'm mostly a beer and wine man myself. And I, every now and again, I, I do like a small Cuervo. <laughs> and again, followed by a couple of tumbleweeds across the runway. <laughs> and at the time, my girlfriend at the time and I used to just, every time we would go to a bar, we would just go, two small Cuervo. <laughs> <laughs> it's an inside joke, but it Small always, it always made us laugh. But also the idea that that was like the big high end tequila at the time, <laughs> really springing for the for the good stuff. That's how he comes in under budget. He's got yeah. the Cuervo, you know, on hold. Glad you enjoyed working on that. And it's, yeah, uh, and uh, your yeah. dad was just a delight. I, mean, I think that I think that story conveys. Yeah, uh, you had, yeah, yeah, you had fun. Uh, it was. Uh, it was a movie. Yeah, my dad wouldn't let me watch that movie for a long time. So of course, it was the one I really wanted to wanted to see. Yeah, and, uh, and I did. You that and like I saw Cinema. I saw your dad do Three uh, Penny Opera on Broadway. When I, oh wow, you yeah. saw that? Cool. It was right before I left New York. I saw him doing Three Penny, and I saw Langella doing Dracula. Oh, cool! And yeah. those were just two of the two most fun Broadway experiences. 
didn't recall. Yeah. I didn't know he did that on stage. Angela, I yeah. I thought that was just a... Oh, yeah. It was, no, it was yeah. the Edward Gorey sets. <laughs> stage design. It was this incredible black and white production. The perfect setup. I mean, the, first of all, the gown that the woman wore is so long and it's like a, a nightgown and it's white and she walks and her and they've got the the Ritter fan blowing as she enters and her hair is going straight back horizontal and she walks across the stage like she's sleepwalking to go in and shut the window and then everything just slowly settles to the floor then the next image that i remember is the is frank coming in and and whatever just his still very tall thin black and white and just yeah. the perfect flourish you'd said and the, the one line that always that just brought down the house is i don't drink wine <laughs> <laughs> that voice so that was in the 70s when you when you were uh, had moved to la already i, I moved to in 79 it is a period film so it speaks to the whole time travel thing yeah yeah mommy dearest Oh, yeah. Where you were spared the beating with the wire hanger. I'd been in town for almost a, a full year uh, without getting a job yet. I, I'd been up for a million things coming really close, but there's that catch-22. If you don't have film on you, how are you going to get film? I, I had a, a scene that I auditioned with where I was had a nervous breakdown viewing the body in the in the coffin because he hasn't said goodbye, he hasn't said I love you, he hasn't said I hate you, he hasn't said fuck you. It's just all unresolved feelings, a yeah. lot of them. And he kind of just goes in there, and it's just him going in to do the viewing in the casket behind the curtain thing and just quietly disassembling mm. and coming apart. And I did that. I remember finding the audition, I was supposed to be wearing a suit I didn't even have a suit, and I went over and stopped at a friend's who was a little bigger than me, so my suit was a little big, and I, I came into the room. Lynn introduced uh, me to Frank, and Frank just said, oh, good to see you. Was like, I, I, I looked what he wanted to see, yeah. walking in. That's half of it right there. Yeah. And then I, I delivered the goods right. with the breakdown, and they did something that's only happened one other time with my second movie. Because I think they know you're not going to drive too hard a bargain. You're going to take it. So they don't worry about being cagey. And they just handed me the script and said, we want you to do this. This is yours. Wow. And, and I said, thank you. It's nice. It's nice. It's my birthday. Thank you. It's like the greatest uh, no Really? And, and, and I, <laughs> I remember it. Wow. It was at Paramount. And Paramount was always, to me, the most magical of all the studios. The, everything and i and I, I walked by that you know the huge blue backdrop screen yep yeah the where they film the clouds yeah I, I literally thought this was years before et but i literally felt like i was sailing like like the et but i felt like i was just flying yeah. this early super i've got a movie and it's a big paramount movie i got a nervous breakdown saying it's gonna kill him. and i but it was five months Faye Dunaway was doing some drugs. There was <laughs> problems on set. Wow. She was eating up the scenery and spitting <laughs> it out, blowing it out. Around. <laughs> we were trying to tame it. The director lost her, his, his wife, who was his partner, oh. during the filming. And life partner as well as creative collaborator on all these movies. And I, I'd come on set at a certain point just to make sure I was still thinking along the right lines for how we wanted to approach the breakdown and, and the lawyer's office scene that followed it. And another three months go by, you know, like, wow, are they going over budget on this? And this is taking a really long time. And then I lost my grandmother, who was very much of a Joan Crawford sort of type, and I was very close with her. And I'm in the funeral home for seven hours on the day that I finally get to do this breakdown scene. I'm from the theater. This is my first movie. I, I didn't know from you. You don't show up seven hours before you start to work. You show up an hour because I'm a makeup guy. I would transform a lot through makeup, and I would get there in time for my transformation. And then, you know, but maybe an hour the most. Yeah, seven hours in, hour in a real curtain. funeral home with filled with flowers, the smell of them, and 
I'm all the, the feelings that I'm needing to locate. I'm locating them. It was my grandmother for me that was the, my substitution is to speak in, in actor studio terms. Right. The, the method I wasn't governed by one thing or another, but I was letting that be the yeah the access route for the character for me on that film. They finally bring bring me to set, and or the the director comes over. Okay, we're going to sh- shoot the scene now, and and so. Diana's going to come out from behind the, the the curtain there, and the two of you haven't seen each other in a while, so you're going to greet each other, and, and then you're going to go. And I said, um, so when am I going to go in and view the body? Oh, that's a scrub. No, we cut that months ago. I know I, I thought you'd heard. No, anyway, no, no, no. Um, oh, no. no. Uh, she's going to come out, and you're going to – we don't know that he actually did see the body. Before, but she, we, she, she's going to – and, and uh, you're going to uh, – Greet each other, and you're going to exit. And remember, everybody, no acting. A scrub? What's a scrub? What is that? And I didn't hear about it months ago. We talked about it months ago. I've been preparing for seven hours to do that. I've been preparing five months right. to do that. Yeah. And I, I was so infuriated. And I had all this emotion going that when it wasn't a matter of acting, I had all this shit going on it was coming out of my head that I looked like an insect on acid <laughs> in the film. I was so horrified when I saw myself on film the first time <laughs> that I thought, okay, no, no more big screen acting for you, big boy. Uh, <laughs> let's go, let's go do some actor in training, learn to work with those cameras. Yeah. I know you were traumatized, but let's get some camera technique because you're big, you're animated. Whoa. whoa. Uh, I had yeah, some yeah, friends yeah. that became friends of mine for, the last 38 years uh, that went to the opening night. I, I was in a nightclub with a girl I was going out with, and it was this coolest nightclub ever in L.A. I'll never forget these this, these two guys just sort of eyeing me, and I'm used to being recognized. One of them comes over, and these two, these two guys from Texas, and they were, they were tripping. They were on acid <laughs> at the time. And uh, as it turns out, one of them comes over to me and goes, were you... Were you and mommy dearest? Excuse me. <laughs> Were you? And I said, yeah. Did you play Christopher Crawford? Oh my God. And I said, yeah. And he went running back to, to this friend. I told you. <laughs> I told you. And the other guy. Oh my God. Oh my God. And that was my first time being recognized from a movie. And it's hysterical because these two guys that I ended up knowing for the rest of my life, it became a uh, an iconic gay movie. Um, yeah. Because of, for yeah, whatever reason, in, they identified the with the abuse, this horrible. Mm. Yeah glamorous abusive mother i don't know it's, well, it's joan like, crawford is sort of an icon of yeah of, i think of the gay community uh and yeah. drag yeah and yeah, stuff, yeah. old uh that's glamorous right. movie stars you know yeah. that's a all that it's the last theme. movie i'd yeah. want to watch on acid wow no kidding yeah but they were so freaked out and then they felt they were projecting themselves into <laughs> the christopher role and then they just felt wow. like they just saw all this emotion because yeah. they picked up on what I had was going well, yeah, through. Yeah, you're there. You but know? so for uh, them, the performance totally worked. But to- well, it does. I mean, um, you know, it's unfortunate you didn't get to do the scene that you know that you that you auditioned for, and that would have been because yeah, great shot, if they at least we'd shot, shot it. The lawyer's office scene the day before. Yeah, and so I'd already done that, right. and I thought we're going to be doing this great scene the next day, and I can't wait. That's. <laughs> Well, that's how it feels that's and i brutal, think that's though, the, the thing that people don't you know again like like with squibs people don't get that that does it goes back to what you were saying about the actor studio and people who feel they need to suffer it takes something you know to, oh, yeah. to get into that space to get in because it's real emotion that's what that's what you all want to see out there mm. you all want to see real emotion so actors are experts at evoking real emotion and when you get the real emotion sure you're using a substitution but you're using your life or your imagination it varies but you know seven hours of doing that Mm -hmm. takes something out of you and to not be informed about 
the scrub, the fact that they cut it, I mean, that's Yeah, and Tom Hanks, and I, I did my second film with Tom doing volunteers, and, and I told him that story because it was so fresh, and he used to use that in, in, in some little lecture thing that he did. It's just a, a warning to people how fucking brutal the business can be. You, know, you finally get your big break, and then something like that happens. Did you see say? Uh, no, I didn't get a chance to see it because it's not. And that's this is this is a real problem. It's not on any of these. Oh, I have it. Well, when you when you when you mentioned it to me, you said you should really check out Safe, and I said, oh, I can't find it anywhere. That's maybe depressing. that would have been a good time yeah. to tell well, me. I, I tell everybody to see. It. We've it. talked about it. I mean, yeah. I, that's the one that jerk. Like, that's. I think it's one of the best movies of the '90s. <laughs> period. It's like the first yeah. film I saw where I'm like, the message was so powerful and so under in the subtext i was like this is this should win the nobel prize for what it's like. yeah it's brilliant i had read uh something with julianne moore that when she auditioned for that part she walked out of the audition room and just leaned up against the wall and wept at the possibility that she might not get it because she wanted it that badly she was she she was so amazing in that and it was just so great to win but we, we rehearsed up in beachwood uh it was fun just like we did but we rehearsed a 15-minute Hamlet, and, and that's so nice getting to be friends with Philip Seymour back then. Yeah, I mean, Philip Seymour Hoffman's in that. Austin Pendleton's in that. And I'd done a play with Austin, Austin. Yeah? when I was like 19 oh, in cool. regional theater. Yeah. yeah. did a He's reading so with him He's a Austin fascinating guy, man. Oh, in New so York. Great. Yeah, really great guy. Did watch uh, Straight to Hell last night. You had to be it's there. Oh man, it's <laughs> wonderful. It's wonderful. It's like a spaghetti western. Yeah, a satire of spaghetti. Western. Yeah, about coffee addicts. Coffee addicts. Yeah, pretty great. None of whom have had sex for ten years. So right. It's fraught with sexual tension. <laughs> Miracle. Fucking Courtney Love is in that movie. Sure was. Courtney Love is in Sid and Nancy as well. She sure was. I wanted to ask you about that. What was that? What was that experience like? Because you're playing the 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 guy the fixer you know guy and uh drug, the, the drug, drug dealer. dealer yeah and uh did you ever spend you know were you around the chelsea hotel at all back in the day and like you know i um mentioned briefly that i was a makeup guy my mom made costumes for me early on my father uh picked up on the fact that i like to make monsters <laughs> sculpt them and that I I got my best friend uh, when when I was ten, nine, ten, to do these staged uh, to do stage fights out by the roadside, breakaway sticks and everything, ugly fucking badass fights, so that when cars went by they'd stop, freak out, think we were killing each other, um, and I'd have ketchup and burnt cork where my makeup supplies and just taking the, the burnt cork made a great with ketchup yeah. laced into it. I, I could set up like I had a big gash across my forehead and I kept my back to where the cars were coming when the car would come over the hill down the road and, and it would be these punching and I had the breakaway stick down on the ground for him to pick up and club me over the head and I'd just go like this and I'd just hit it with my hand because we'd rehearse yeah, in the field, and then we came over and brought, <laughs> and then boom, and I dropped, be hanging my head off the curb with the blood, and the fucking, it looked like he had killed me. <laughs> we were hitting each other hard, and then he grabs the stick, crashes it over my head. And I, uh, <laughs> you have people like jump out of the car, jump out of the car. Are you okay? And go, yeah, I'm fine. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> it's like so fucked up. It's, that was a bad thing to do to people, but it was so much fun. Fun, yeah. And Rainy. and then so yeah, it's my I guess my father thought let's not punish him for this skill. Let's uh, let's direct it. Let's just give him a little direction. And he gave me a, a great makeup kit with dermal wax and nose putty and all this other yeah. stuff. And the Richard Corson book on stage makeup, which was like a bible for me and. I'd started the theater not long. This was maybe he gave me this around I was like thirteen or something, fourteen, and uh, and then by the time I was fifteen, I started 
just really going through it page one all the way through and just trying to learn everything I could. And I got hired in the theater as a makeup artist in New York. And, and in college, I was always being called upon to do not only my own, but everybody else's. And I was used as a mask maker. And so, so I had skills. And I, I started here and there doing that with um, to get to get film roles because I was learning little by little how to adapt it to make it so that it didn't look like I was wearing any makeup. And but I to audition for Sid and Nancy. I just had a vibe like I had to get this part. And I'd I'd uh, I'd known a couple of like my sister had gone to art school with these two guys from the with one guy from the Bronx, and I'd gotten friends with them and. and they could get me into Studio 54. And his brother, they went out, but they did a little bit of dealing on the side. So while I was, you know, going, I'd go with these, these guys had obviously a connection. I think they provided drugs to the guy that worked the door at Studio 54. So you could always get, I, and I would hang, I, I can remember hanging out at the, at their apartment, waiting to go because I would get, if I did this, I would get to go to Studio 54 when I was like 19, 20. Um, it suddenly became clear to me why I'd spent all this time around the Baldaro brothers because they were such characters. They were from the Bronx, and they were killers. And funny, but the, they went to art. One of them went to art school. The other went to business school, and, and they were cousins. They weren't brothers, but they. Xander, mm. I can't believe it. I was like their mascot. Look, you're coming out with us tonight. Come on, put on. You're gonna wear that pink Fiorucci jacket tonight. I love it. Come on, you get it. We get in. It's good. We get a little blonde hair, blue eyes in our crowd. I like it. The girls, I like it. And and uh, they, I just got to watch them doing their dance of how they approached all their and and all of the New York low life weird different characters that would come and go. The cops that bought drugs from them and just like it was just a whole other world. And I was a fly on the wall. And uh, I, this is why I did it when, when I saw when I read that script. I had these experiences so I could use observing that yeah. and put it into this role. And and so this lifer, New Yorker, junkie, drug dealer. Okay, yeah. couldn't wait. So I, I knew I needed to change my look. I was still a little clean. And um, so I took my German makeup kit out and broke all the capillaries and yellowed my teeth up a little bit. Yeah. Separate little kit for the teeth and inside the eyes and... and uh, Egg whites, I was thinking my hair to make it look good. Wash my hair in a while and I got this powder, the gray powder, sort of film, like to give a patina of street filth. Vicky Thomas was a dear friend to this day, I was casting director on that, and um, went in and you don't look much like your resume picture. I go, yeah, you know, I know, I know. It's, it's so great to you know, have an audition. I don't have to get all spruced up. <laughs> because <laughs> I'd literally gone across the street gotten a back then somehow <laughs> and I'd gotten a pack of cigarettes and a, a, a beer in a brown paper bag and I let the cigarette go right into my eyes and I walked in smoking with a beer <laughs> and I just looked like a homeless motherfucker and she just like okay because I did look pretty sweet in this in this picture that's the old picture <laughs> Yeah. I don't really got that thing. Then I do the thing. And so I audition. Director doesn't see the picture. Director just sees the audition. He's in London. They already started shooting. And then I arrive in New York on set. And he took one look at me and he's like, oh, you're so clean. I thought we had tomorrow somehow miraculously discovered a junkie who could act naturally in front of the camera. Oh, well. Walked away. <laughs> so disappointed. So disappointed. Alex. So I went back to the Marriott Hotel where they would first put me up. And I got my makeup on, got the, I, I, I'd found my own costume. I'd gone, gotten a, what I auditioned with, and I just got into my gear. Uh, I was stood in line to, at the desk to sell them to not go and just put a hold on cleaning my room. And th then I went to the set, and um, I walked into the makeup trailer. I said, look, guys, just out of respect, I've got makeup on. And this is how I got the part. And the director was so disappointed yesterday when I showed up without this that I just felt I had to show you. And you can take it all off and do whatever you do. And that was not bad. Aren't you the bloke that was at the hotel saying, don't clean our room? 
We did just win the Academy Awards. Grace <laughs> took last year. So maybe we'll do a thing or two, but it's really not that bad. It's not that bad. So one thing I might do different. And then they began my education in how to do film makeup. And I've become oh. friends with a lot of Academy Award winners that have given me a lot of great secrets. And if I hadn't become an, if I hadn't had success as an actor, I think that's the way I would have gone because it's so much fun. My father was really supportive, and 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 uh, he was an artist. I remember PBS when I was growing up had a lot of um, foreign films that they started airing, and we were in New Jersey, but just far enough where he couldn't get in and see all of the Truffaut, Fellini, Bergman films when they were coming out in the '60s, and so in the '70s they started running them, and I was in high school and stuff, and and let me stay up late and they aired them late and kind of got in a film school education because he was a designer and he'd break down and he loved film and, and also all the Bogart films and everything else that we would watch together and he's always he always liked the actors that could transform and that you could and he prided himself on being the guy that could tell you now do you remember who that guy was do you remember yeah. the, where, where you've seen him before he was, and then he'd tell me, I go, oh, my God, that's so cool. And so that, you know, I guess they were all trying to please our fathers on some level. Yeah. So I knew that that was the, the, the magic for him. My mother didn't, you know, she thought I was going to be a diplomat or an ambassador or something with a little bit of dignity to it. And she had bigger bigger things in mind for me, I think, essentially. And I was going to be an actor. Oh, if you must. <laughs> yeah. And she also was, had a little anxiety because she knew that it was a hard profession. But more than anything, it was just, she, she, was, a, she was a mystic, wise woman. And uh, she sent me out with two pieces of advice that I, I'd like to pass out there into the world because they're so counter to everything our culture is obsessed with in this day and age that I like to share it because if I've had success, it's because my father came and saw me to play my second year in college. I was, I was playing Mal Malvolio on Twelfth Night and he, he, there was no one whose opinion I respected more. He was a brilliant, brilliant man. And he didn't throw away compliments easily, only if you really earned something. And he said, what I saw tonight, I just have to tell you, I saw this, 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 this. And I won't, for this, out of modesty, I won't list the things he said. But he said, I just can't think what the hell else you'd need to make a go with this, if this is what you want to do. Um, so I, if you want to stay here and get a degree, if you want to go to London, study there. If you want to go to New York, study there. I back you 100%. And I said, that's the, that's the only degree I would ever freaking need right there. And so I, I thought about it a little while in New York. I'll go there. And I spread the money out because we didn't have a lot. They saved it all for me to do whatever I wanted with it for education-wise. And I was always going to go. Not only get a degree, but get an advanced degrees. I was that was the way you know, thinking it would go. And then really, I can do this. I, I, okay. So I went. And uh then I get whisked out to LA not long after, and my mother said, Well, now, honey, you know money's only a problem if you have too much or too little of it, don't you? Well, mother, I've only been acquainted with the latter. I have yet to experience <laughs> the former. I'll have to take your word for it. Well, you should. You'll find it to be true. And with regard to fame, all I will tell you is you just be careful what you you ask for because you may just get it. She leveled me with her blue gaze, and I was like, "Yeah, the horror!" It put a chill in my bones, and I got it. And so somehow, because in the theater that wasn't going to be the issue, but film, and I got it. Yeah. And I thought, how do I do this? Uh, and I, and because I was a makeup guy, so part of it was for me transformation. It's what I always wanted to do. It was the thing that always appealed to my father the most, the, this, the obscure character actor. And 
little bits along the way, I worked with different people that, you know, and I, I was friends with people that got really famous, and I watched it. It's like a, it's like morphine. It's a drug. It's deleterious. It has a terrible effect on some people. You don't know what it's going to do to you. It takes, it, it reinforces the infantile notion that you're the center of the universe because and no one you, says no to you. When you make a mess, they clean it up. When you cry, yeah. they pat you on the back. And yeah, when you go so down much. the street, they go like, look at that. Oh, what a cute baby. Right. I always knew I was special. <laughs> Ego is, is there uh, for us as a companion in accomplishing things in life. It's, it's got to have its place. Certainly, in order to survive the outrageous slings and arrows that we do as actors, yeah. rejection upon rejection, you don't have some sense of self. Um, right. You won't. You, you won't withstand that. Yeah. That pain. You, you can lose your real self if that takes over. And you, I've, I've seen it happen with good people. I've I worked with people when they were before they became really famous. And they were fun. They were nice. They were good. They were good people. And I worked with them when they became really famous. And they were assholes. <laughs> Fucking assholes. I'm like, what, what happened to you? You're so mean and so unkind and so self-involved and so unabashed and shameless. Oh, my God. And fame is dangerous in that respect. It can just turn people into just... And then, and then there's people like you know. I love to cite the examples of people like Andy Andy Lincoln on the, on the Walking Dead. Is so he, you know, nine years in was still just as kind and gentle and sweet and thoughtful. And, and you know, if you're really well brought up, you're not going to. These are the kind of n number ones on a call sheet you want. The ones that take people that don't that are humble and that don't think of themselves as being better that see how fortunate they are and that see that they're in a position where they get to set the tone for the entire show and they take that responsibility and they use it well you know i think that was one of the things my mother was like not that i was going to become an egoist but just be careful about that but also what is your if you want to become an actor, really, what do you want to do that for? You want to do it because you want to tell stories and you want to reflect humanity. Hold the mirror as twere up to nature. Quoting the bard. How can you do that if you aren't able to be out there naturally in the world anymore? Because everybody's coming up to you all the time. Blowing smoke up your ass. or they want it, So you're hiding out. And you get cut off. And people are, are treating you a little bit differently then you're not able to just see how people are anymore. And so yeah. it's really kind of the enemy of, of the actor, just like it is with great comedians. You see when they sort of lose their muse because they're not just living a normal life anymore. Dave Chappelle had to go away from it all for a while and then yeah. get supercharged back up. <laughs> oh, but treat it like any other industry. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we Be were just talking about, we were talking about the Christian Bale thing, yelling at the guy. And I said, you know what? I bet Christian Bale, I don't know if you know anything that I don't, but I was like, I bet Christian Bale is a cool guy and like a super dedicated actor and like really just really cares about it. And the thing about the crew is you spend every day with those people. You know them. You yeah, know the crew. Plus You're not also, just yelling at Although like, there are the also help. assholes yeah. in the crew. Yeah, there well, are guys. The Vietnam vets. I will just you know? yeah, those guys <laughs> who are awesome, literally who are packing that yeah. <laughs> that scumbag full of gunpowder just so it'll burn your ass. Like you'll do, <laughs> oh, you motherfucker! <laughs> after you after you've laid there dead, bleeding. Hey, you know what? That, see, that's a burn, and it's going to be a bruise for the next three weeks as it goes right past Enjoy my heart. It. Yeah. Um, but but there's also the guys that like pull focus, literally pull focus. They're sitting there like this. And and they're chewing gum, wearing a bright shirt, <laughs> big stripes and big you know like letters on it and day glow, and they're sitting there like <laughs> farting and <laughs> and you're in some really Focus. intense emotional scene like hey, <laughs> shit face, pull it together. 
I'm trying to stay focused. You are right here Can in my you face. Full focus, yeah. just this way. And could you maybe wear a dark, no pattern shirt? Not fart. So that and stop farting, because I can't escape your fucking smell. Yeah. yeah. Respect the to, stories that people need to hear about. You know what? Totally. It's like Respect to focus pullers, yeah, though. And, and a good lines. focus puller. And because if you're there and you've memorized five pages of dialogue, and there's and there's people that are just like. In the background, <laughs> in your eyeline, that's going to pull you out of the scene. Of course. Because yeah. the focus should be on the scene. And you stay out of the eyeline if you can't stay focused yeah. on the scene. <laughs> you know, doing that shit. That's going to be hard. So hard. It's distracting. Christian Bale is so fucking good and so focused. Yeah. You don't get that without working your ass off. And I heard about that story that that guy... Kept tweaking the lights and da di da di da di da, like in the middle of scenes. It's like get like, out of no, there. No, it's okay. not your it's not your turn. You had a chance when you had the set to get your lights the way they're going to be. Now it's his turn because the camera is rolling. And I'm a pretty good natured guy. I'm doing <laughs> acting like a crank. Hey man. Thanks for coming. Yeah. 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 This has been great. Thanks, Andrew.